Welcome to Life Lessons with Dr. Steve Shell. For 20 years, Dr. Steve's 30-minute radio program, Life Lessons, was heard throughout the United States. Committed to comprehensively teaching through entire books of the Bible, Pastor Steve pulls out the deep, eternal truths in each section of Scripture without skipping over the challenging passages. He applies what is learned clearly and practically so that we're inspired not to just be hearers of the Word, but doers also. This Jesus is not a philosophy, it's not a religion, it's not some doctrine we just affirm. We have met him, he has come and transformed our lives. Amen? Amen. But there's a before and there's an after. There's a before and there's an after in the life of any person who's met Jesus Christ. There's a before and an after. Holy Spirit, come and open our hearts today to the word. Make it come alive in us and make our hearts open up, Jesus. We love you this day. We would, we would not only confess you, we would worship you that all you have done for us. I would, Lord, with all my heart, I thank you for coming into my life. In your precious name, open this word and grace me to speak it in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to look at someone's life who has changed very dramatically. We're going to study that because it's, it, it, it teaches us a lot. Would you turn to me, with me to Acts chapter 9? I want to see a man who met the resurrected Jesus. He's, he's, he's the last one, at least of the apostles, who actually saw Jesus resurrected. In Corinthians, when he's talking about this uh, years later, I think it's like 22 years later, he's writing about this experience, and he says, he's arguing with the Corinthian church, which had been told by somebody that, that maybe Jesus came back only spiritually, that he didn't physically really resurrect, and, and Paul's saying, if he isn't resurrected, you're toast. You're, you're dead in your sins. All of this is a, is a laughingstock, and, and we are, of all people, the most to be pitied. He says, but he says he is resurrected, and he said he was seen by 500 people at one, he said, most of whom are still alive when he wrote this. You could ask them. They were there. They saw him. He said he, he appeared to Cephas, Peter. He appeared to James, his, his half-brother, who became the leader of the Jerusalem church later on. And then he says, and he, and he appeared to me as one untimely born. In other words, I was like a child that was carried too long in the womb. Everybody else got born before I did but I saw him too. I, I didn't just have a vision. I saw him. We're going to see how real that seeing was, how real that encounter was. It was so real, it blinded him. It wasn't a vision. His eyes were wounded, damaged, and oozed. It formed some horrible scale over his face from the damage of seeing the glory of the resurrected Jesus Christ. Paul says, I was one and timely born. I saw him too. And I want to show you the dramatic transfer t- transformation that takes place in this man's life over the course of three days. He's, he's, headed, uh, he's headed one direction, 100 miles an hour. And three days later, he's headed the other direction, 100 miles an hour. What is it that changed this man's life? He met Jesus. Would you say he met Jesus? Amen. Let's, let's uh, Acts chapter 9, I'm going to just read through, just want you to he- hear the story and then we'll, we'll retell it. Starting in verse 1, I'll go down to verse 22. Now Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, 
went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. He's pretty much arrested everybody he can find in the city of Jerusalem, so now he's going 140 miles north to the city of Damascus, which has a large Jewish community. There's, there, are, there are many, many, many synagogues there, and the word is out that this, that this following of, of Jesus, what they call the way there, that, by the way, is how the, how the early church referred to itself, they were on the way. They were following their rabbi. They were following their savior, walking on his path. Those belonging to the way, that he might bring them bound back to Jerusalem. So he's going up and try to, try to deal with the situation of a growing church in Damascus. And as he was traveling, it happened that he was approaching Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him and he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, but get up and enter the city and it will be told you what you must do. The men who traveled with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one, Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. And leading him by the hand, they brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at, at Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And, he said, and the Lord said to him, Get up and go to the street called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas, for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he may regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he did to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go. For he's a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and sons of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Isn't that an ominous statement? How would you like him to say, I'm calling you and I will show you how much you will suffer for my name's sake. Whoa, this guy has it coming, I might add. <clears throat> so Ananias departed and entered the house. And after laying his hands on him said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming, has sent me so that he may regain your, you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Just notice he said that while he had his hands on his head. Do you see that? And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales. And he regained his sight and he got up and was baptized. And he took food and was strengthened, and for several days he was with the disciples who were at Damascus. All right, now we've seen Paul before. We've seen Paul meeting Jesus. Now look at Paul in just these few verses. Here's Paul after meeting Jesus. Immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. All those who, hearing him, continued to be amazed and were saying, Is this not he who in Jerusalem destroyed those who called on this name? And who had come here for the purpose of bringing them bound before the chief priests. But Paul, pardon me, Saul, kept increasing in strength and confounding the Jews who lived at Damascus by proving that this Jesus is the Christ. Saul before, Saul meets Jesus, Saul after. You see the change? 
What changed in him? How can you change that fast? Let's look at our text. Three days after wanting to kill the disciples of Jesus Christ, Paul, and I'm going to just call him Paul if you'll bear with that. Paul is a completely different man. Sure, he has a lot to learn, and almost nobody trusts him yet. When he tries to meet with other believers, they suspect he's just pretending so he can gather names and come back later with the police. But he is different, totally different. And for the next three decades, he will live a life that is completely sold out to Jesus. As we marvel at the transformation of this man, we need to ask ourselves, what was it that changed him? Was what happened a special miracle because Jesus knew Paul would make a great apostle? Or is this level of profound change available to anyone? Was he a unique work of God or just the most prominent example of someone whose life Jesus turned around? Before we investigate what changed Paul, let's notice what didn't. No one outdebated this brilliant Pharisee or theologically convinced him that Isaiah 53 speaks of a suffering Messiah, which it does. He didn't wake up one morning and decide he needed to be a nicer, friendlier person and chart a self-improvement program. What changed him was he met the resurrected Jesus Christ. He didn't gradually get better and then decide to investigate the truth about this Jesus of Nazareth. Walking toward Damascus, he was worse than ever. Luke uses wording here that implies that he had by this point of time fallen under demonic influence and was functioning at an unnatural level of anger. Where do I get that? If you look at the original uh, Greek that Luke wrote, and Luke is very precise, people don't translate what he writes because they didn't know what to do with it. It says that, that Saul was breathing in threats and, and murder. So everybody translates that he breathed it out. You know, in other words, he's muttering, he's talking, he's just, I'm going to kill him, I'm going to kill him. I'm sure he did. But he doesn't say that. There are, there are two clear Greek words you could have. Breathe in, breathe out. And Luke says he was breathing them in. The, guy's, the guy is raging and he's having a demonic assistance in the process. He's, he's, he's really over the edge. He's, he's in a rampage. He was totally committed to killing all of Jesus' followers, and his ultimate goal was to kill Jesus himself again, if he could. Now, before meeting Jesus, Paul would later describe himself during this season as raging like a madman. That's the word he uses. When he captured someone, he would try to force him or her to blaspheme Christ by flogging them as they lay face down on the floor of a synagogue. He's whipping women on their back on the floor of the synagogue saying, renounce him! And, and, and he wants them to blaspheme. So say something really ugly. Deny Christ. And you can imagine what he's saying, what's pouring out of his mouth. This will come back and haunt him later. He, just his memories of what he did. Is, he, I know, he knows he's righteous in Christ, but boy, he, he really has memories to deal with. When he captured someone, he'd force them to try to force them to blaspheme. To conduct an inquisition in a foreign city like Damascus, he re required a letter of introduction from the high priest to the synagogue leaders, as well as a letter explaining who is to be arrested and why. The group of men that traveled with him, which must have included some of the temple police, 
would be there to help him do the dirty work of arresting, questioning, flogging, and when necessary, transporting prisoners back to Jerusalem so they could be tried before the Sanhedrin who had the authority to execute those unwilling to renounce Christ. Hopefully, the letters he carried would convince the local leaders to cooperate. He needed them to be willing to betray family and friends and then to testify against them. Is this an ugly assignment or what? He's traveling 140 miles to another city, going into a community of people he, may, he, he doesn't particularly know. He's staying in a, in a mansion somewhere on Straight Street, which is the big, big, fancy street. So he's, he's the emissary of the high priest, staying in one of the prestigious estates of a Jewish family there in, in Damascus. This is his assignment to come in, and he's now going to run the police operation that, that, that starts dragging people in and going through this questioning. And if there's any doubt, saying, say this about Jesus. Call him this. Say this about him. And if they won't, they, he begin, they put, they, there's, a, there's a thing in the law for that. He lay them face down, and they can do only do 40, 40, 40 uh, whips. By the way, Paul himself later on would get this treatment. How many times? Think about it. Five times he said, I received the 40. He himself gets laid down in the synagogue. <laughs> wang, 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 renounce Jesus, and he wouldn't do it. Five times it happens to him. That's what he's doing. He's, he's got this whole thing of, of friends and family betraying each other, saying, I know she loves Jesus. I've heard her talk about him. They're going to turn each other in. What an ugly operation this man is involved with. Why do we need to see that? You need to see where he was headed. And three days later, this guy's preaching Christ and willing to die for him. What turns that around that fast? Meeting Jesus. Now, this is my translation. Forgive me. You might as well see what it really says. <laughs> Honestly, it is. Uh, and what I want you to see is in the, in the actual language, there's some remarkable things being said. Now watch this. And it came to pass going to it, as he drew near to Damascus, a light suddenly shone round him from out of heaven. Isn't that a vivid picture? And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you pursuing me? doesn't say persecuting me. You can extrapolate the word to mean that, but it means to hunt, to chase, to pursue. Why are you pursuing me? Now, do you hear a double meaning in that? Saul, in all of your craziness, you're looking for God. Why are you pursuing me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are pursuing, hunting. In other words, you're not after my disciples, you're after me. Well, here I am. Now, can you imagine this? I mean, he's, here he is, breathing threats, and all of a sudden, wham, and it says it's at noon. This is midday, so full sunlight, and then the light is so bright, it's like, it's just this brilliant blast, much lighter than, brighter than the sun. Everyone falls, Saul's on his back, and he looks up into the light. This has got to tell you something about, and he, he keeps staring into it. He sees Jesus. The others see a light. They do not see Jesus. He stares into this and looks at Jesus. And Jesus is basically saying, you are looking for me? Here I am. Now what? This is a huge oops. Yeah. 
right now. Now stand up and go into the city and it will be told you what you are. And look at the word, bound to do. What was he gonna do to the, to the disciples of Jesus Christ? Bind them and take them back to Jerusalem. Who's going back to Jerusalem bound? Paul is. Paul's going back bound now with Christ. Now the men who were traveling with him stood speechless Indeed, hearing the voice, they hear it, but it's in Hebrew. He'll tell us elsewhere that the voice came in Hebrew. They'll probably speak Aramaic for the most part. It's in Hebrew. He certainly speaks Hebrew. But beholding no one. And Saul was raised from the ground. Notice that he didn't get up from the ground. How did he get up? They lifted him up. The guy is absolutely blind. And he's on the ground now just traumatized, and they pick him up and lift him up. He was lit, raised from the ground, and having opened his eyes, he saw nothing. And leading him by the hand, they take him to Damascus. So this is the way he goes to Damascus. And he was three days not seeing, and he ate not, nor drank. Why Paul? Why did Jesus show himself to Paul? You would think he would be the last person on earth to whom Jesus would personally appear. If he had only wanted to stop Paul's persecution of the church, all he had to do was make him ill or kill him. Problem solved. But he saw something in Paul that caused him to confront him, not kill him. And what he saw was that Paul was genuinely deceived. He was certainly not a good man who deserved to be saved. He was a proud man doing horrible things. But underneath it all, he was deceived. He actually thought he was serving God. 30 years later, when he looked back and tried to explain why Jesus had been merciful to him, here's what he said. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into service, even though I was formerly a blasphemer. That is not some kind of just overstatement. He said horrible things about Jesus Christ. And, a, and what's the word he uses? A hunter, a pursuer. I, I, I was, I, I was a, a persecutor, yes, but what it means is I was a hunter. And, a, and it says violent aggressor. You know what the word is? I was full of hubris. Do you know what hubris is? Hubris is the kind of pride that is so terrible, the person's dangerous. It's that prideful. You see some people that get so proud, they're just stupid. They're dangerous. You don't dare trust any. They just, there's something in them. He says, I was full of hubris. Yet I was shown mercy. Why? And I read this with me. Because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. Say that again. Because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. Jesus warned his disciples about such misguided people. He said, they will make you outcasts from the synagogue, but an hour is coming for everyone who kills you to think that he's offering service to God. These things they will do because they have not known the Father or me. They have religion. They do not have relationship with the living God. They do not know the spirit of the Lord when they see it. They know religion. So in spite of the fact that he was covered with innocent blood, 
In spite of blaspheming Jesus and trying to force others to do the same, in spite of being full of aggressive pride and possibly even demonic rage, Jesus saw a heart that wanted to know God. Paul wasn't a man who loved the pleasures of the world and he didn't care and didn't care about God. He was a person who was terribly confused and headed full speed in the wrong direction. And that kind of person makes a great disciple when the day comes that they actually meet Jesus. I too, uh, Mary and I, are taking what's called OSL, this Operation Solid Lives Basic Discipleship Course. Teaches you to read the Bible. It's about time I did, I thought. And, 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 to ha- and pray, and, and it's, it's really good, and really drills into you the love of God. It's amazing. And I'm, we're on our last, our last week of it. When, when I heard the young man who, who he and his wife developed this, they were formerly students of ours down, in, down at Life Bible College when I taught there. So I've, I've known him for years, and, but I've, this is, it's really solid. Well, he was telling about this program at a, at a meeting with pastors that I went to. And he said, one of the men who was converted, he said, what we find is as we get the gospel clear and people discover the love of God, he said, people their lives get changed. And he said, and then they start telling others. Isn't this what we're waiting for, people? We're waiting for a gospel. We're waiting for an encounter with Jesus that changes us. I think America is is more ripe than ever. People are so full of their addictions, so depressed, so so angry, so alone, so addicted to, to pornography and alcohol and everything else. They're desperately crying out saying, somebody set me free. You can go to a counselor for 150 bucks an hour. You can, or you can drink yourself into, into dullness. You, there's different solutions. And people are looking to be set free. Well, when you start getting set free, you get pumped. You get excited. You, everybody's got to have this. Well, he was telling about down there. He says, we, he says, we, we aren't getting people. We're just, uh, we aren't getting the, the, the beautiful people. He says, we're getting people. And he, one of the people that came to the Lord this way, and he, he actually narrates and it's quite humorous. Uh, he, he narrates the kind of language that his friends had used to tell him he needed uh, Jesus. And I, I will not use that language. But this, this man was the head of the Mexican mafia in, in that area. And he came to Christ. And then he mentioned, he said, well, he became a pastor. I was telling this to Frank. And Frank says, oh, I know that guy. He says, yeah, Frank knows everybody. <laughs> yeah. and he says, I know that guy. He says, do you know where he pastors? I said, no. He said, Chihuahua, Mexico. And he says, that's where the huge federal prison is. He says, he's got two churches in the prison and one outside. He was going 150 miles an hour that direction. And now he's going 150 miles an hour with this direction. What changed him? He met Jesus. Say that. He met, yeah. he met a risen Lord. This isn't religion. You didn't give him a little something. Something hit him and transformed the man's life. The power of the risen Lord can change our lives. There aren't good people and bad people in the world. Everybody has sinned against God. It's just that some people's sin is more obvious than others. Everybody has inherited Adam's rebellion. Everybody tries to handle life in their own wisdom and strength. And everybody tends to be selfish, putting their own needs first. Admit it, say it. I do that. 
Come on. That is that, that's the old nature. That's the old nature. But in Christ, that's the thing that gets changed. I'm not perfect, but my spirit gets changed. My spirit now loves him. My spirit now wants to obey him. The, the, the real me, the basic me, has a whole new relationship with God. That's what changes when you come to Jesus Christ. Then you learn to walk out your obedience. You learn to bring the rest of your life, yourself into submission. But the spirit gets changed. We all, every human, needs Jesus Christ. So Jesus didn't look at Paul and say, there's someone who deserves my grace. He saw a man who deserved to be struck dead. But he also saw a confused God seeker, a man who was spiritually blind but didn't know it. Now I want to make a distinction between God seekers and world lovers. Paul's example teaches us a lot about how God deals with people. Paul was a misguided God seeker. But not everybody is. There are people who couldn't care less about whether or not God exists, at least not yet. People who love this world and have chosen to ignore their conscience. And God wants to save them too, but he has to deal with that type of person differently. Their problem isn't ignorance, it's indifference. So he has to wait for them to grow tired of the world and to come to play the place where they're willing to think about the condition of their own soul and honestly admit to wrong priorities. And that can take a long time. Sometimes people only engage these truths at the last minute, but Jesus gladly receives them when they do. Do you know such people? Of course you do. There are earnest God-seekers. They can, be, they can be wreaking havoc, but they're trying to do the right thing. And then there's others who've just fallen in love with the world. They're comfortable. They don't want God. They just want to be left alone. And how, how does God deal with them? The way of the transgressor is hard. So, so God just sort of lets life take its course. And as, as it goes on, things get harder and harder, more and more bitter. At some point along the line, you wake up and go, this isn't working. It can be very late in the process. Years ago, a, uh, one of my family members called me and said uh, one of my relatives was dying. And he sa she said, would, would you come down? They're in Southern California. Would you come down and, and uh, talk to him about, about God? And I, sa I said, does, does he want me to come? Because this is, this is the alpha male in my family. I mean, this is an intimidating guy. He, he's not a mean guy, but yeah, come on, he's... He is to me. He, I mean, he's intimidating to me, not mean, intimidating. And, and, and I said, if he wants me to come, and, he, and, he, and he said, he's in the hospital at this point. Now, this is a man who had lived a very good life. This is a man who was very successful, um, very comfortable, and whom, for whom medicine and all of these things just postponed death forever. You know, you could just, if you got something, go to the doctor. And, and after, and we just did that, we did that, we did that, we did that for all these years until finally we came to the place where the medicine couldn't help anymore and he was in the hospital for the last time. When that happened, he, he began to have, I forget what they call it, but there's, there's a particular thing where people get up in the middle of the night and they begin to be very frightened and very, and, and very, very agitated. And he was having this. And so this family member called me and said, would you come? 
And I said, yes. And I got on an airplane, and I mean, the next day. And I flew down. And um, they prepared him and, and left and said, praying for you. And uh, <laughs> I was kind of like... <laughs> and I, I'll make it short. I, I, was able, I led him to Jesus Christ. And he was ready. It was easy. It was easy. The man was now ready to talk about Jesus Christ. I led him to the Lord, prayed for the power of the Holy Spirit, the whole nine yards. Peace came over him, and 10 days later, he died. That'll do. Sure, it would have been nice if it was 30 years earlier, but we got him. One of the young men in the church, and I'll be real discreet, well, as discreet as I get um, in sharing this, but he shared this just a week ago with me. Um, one a prominent person in our community who was very much into other kind of, of spirituality. I'll just say it that way. Very prominent, a lifelong person in something very anti-Christian. And he heard she was dying. And he, we had just had that sermon on, on um, divine appointments. And, and the, whole, the Lord said to him, go tell her about me. And he said, you got to be kidding. I mean, you know, this woman, I mean, she spent a whole life, come on. She's at the last stages and she spent her entire life in this anti-Christian kind of thing. You know, can I, I won't tell you what he said. Anyway, it was funny. Um, <laughs> he said, I think she'll sit up and hiss. And but anyway. <laughs> Why do I say everything I know? But he went. The Lord, the Lord insisted. Went to the hospital. He'd known her as a boy. And he said, I'm here. Would you like to hear about... I'd like to talk to you about Jesus. Do you know Jesus Christ? Yes. Are you willing to receive him as your Lord and Savior? Yes, I am. He not only led her and said, now just agree with me. He made her pray out loud. And that woman received Jesus Christ beautifully and easily, and she was totally ready. In fact, when she, he came, she said, are we going to have our meeting now? It's like she was looking right into the spiritual world and just saying, you've come to talk to me, haven't you? And she received Jesus Christ, died a few days later. God will take them right. He'll snatch, that's a brand snatched from the fire, the Bible calls it. God will take a brand snatched from the fire or he'll take somebody. But when that heart is ready. You see that there's different types, aren't there? There's these, these God seekers who go crashing along maybe in the wrong direction and hurting all sorts of people. But they're trying to find him. And then there's others who are world lovers. And they just got to have enough bitter fruit and, 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 and trouble in the world until they're tired of it. Till they know they really are going to die. Some people just are in denial till they get to the stage where they go, I am dying. The, the first person I mentioned, 10 days from the time he was, he was ready to die, he was now grasping the fact, I can't postpone this with medical care forever. I am going to die. I have to deal with my spirit. And he did. And he did. He was ready then. What changed Paul? He saw Jesus. Would you say that? In his case, he literally saw the resurrected Jesus. 
in his glory, and it blinded him. Apparently, his damaged eyes oozed over during the three days of waiting, and a crust formed over both eyes. Given the enormous amount of abuse he would endure over the coming years, he needed this level of encounter. It would strengthen him in the dark hours that lay ahead. But people still meet the resurrected Jesus just as genuinely, if not as dramatically. And this encounter still radically changes people. The Myanmar team that came back uh, and reported to us just a few weeks ago, there was a medical team that went there to Myanmar for a couple of weeks and held a clinic and, and shared Christ. In the process of it, I think they saw a thousand people and they saw over 500 receive Jesus Christ. In the course of that, a, and, and help me with this, Mary, was it an animist priest? An animist priest came and found them. He came down from one of the villages. They're up in northern Myanmar. Uh, and he came down from one of the villages to the clinic. And he said, I, I'm here to find out about this Jesus. Because I see in the faces of my people something different. Now, he was seeing the resurrected Jesus. And where was he seeing the resurrected Jesus? In the faces, in the eyes of his people. Uh, Mary showed me a picture of, of a, I believe it was a Buddhist priest from a year ago who had received Christ. And his countenance, which had been dark and, you know, just brooding, was, a, a, when he came to the Lord, was now this beautiful, sweet face. And he was the pastor of a church in his town. He had become the pastor of all these new converted people. So here was this beautiful face with the, with the bright eyes and the smile, looking just, just lovely as a brother in the Lord. That's seeing Jesus too, isn't it? We can see him in faces. We can see him in the changed lives. You can see him in many ways, but it's when you see him, it's, there's a revelation in it that we're changed. For three days, Paul lay in blindness, neither eating nor drinking in the home of a prominent synagogue leader who was to be his host while he conducted an inquisition through the Jewish community in Damascus. Can you imagine what an awkward guest he was? They, here's, here's this prominent leader who's expecting an emissary from the high priest who's going to run a police operation in his city. And the guy they bring in is like this, comes in the door, and they put him somewhere. They don't, he doesn't eat. He doesn't drink. They just put him in a room and close the door. And he's in there going through all of this. And what do the people who bring him say? There was this light, and he's blinded by it, and, and I, we don't know what's going on. So, so here you've got this awkward, awkward environment. These were undoubtedly days of shock and mourning. He may have wondered if this had been a dream, only to try to open those eyes and see, but discover that he was indeed blind. Can't you imagine him waking up at some points, going, did that really happen? And then he's trying to see. He opened his eyes, and he goes, I'm blind. No, it happened. It hadn't been a dream. And then there must have been the faces of those who'd beaten and watched, he'd watched die. He'd beaten and, and watched die because they had refused to deny Jesus. His own evil must have just overwhelmed him. Yet Jesus hadn't killed him. Instead, he'd said something about serving him. 
Ananias. Notice Ananias is not an apostle. He's just the disciple. In a vision, Jesus told him to go and lay hands on Paul to heal his eyes and so that he might be filled with the Holy Spirit. Did you notice that second phrase? And when Ananias laid his hands on him, Paul was healed and received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Then to declare his repentance and by faith be joined to Jesus in his death and resurrection, Paul was baptized in water. So we, 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 we meet the Lord on the road. We lie in darkness for three days, processing, churning. Oh, my goodness. Oh, I have, I have beaten and killed. Why didn't he kill me? Why didn't he strike me dead? He didn't. He said something about serving him. What is this? How could I have been so wrong? So how long did it take to change Paul from a violent persecutor to a passionate disciple? Three days from start to finish. Sure, he still had a lot to learn. He would soon take time to travel to the deserts of Arabia to meditate in the scriptures. He had, time, he had to go back and reread all the passages he had misinterpreted. Can't you imagine that experience? Like he's going back going, I never saw that in my life. I've memorized that, but I didn't see it. So he's, he's having to rethink all of this. And no, he wasn't mature enough to be the great missionary he would someday become. That would have to wait for at least another 14 years. But his heart was changed in a moment. His spirit was set free by a miracle, not a process. By a miracle, not a process. Did you hear this? Not by a miracle. Jesus sets us free by a miracle. Our spirit is born again. Our spirit comes out of darkness into light. It is joined to God in a moment. Yes, I've got all kinds of stuff to clean up. Yes, I've got a lot to learn. I have to learn to discipline my flesh. This thing is just, it's like, isn't your body like dragging a donkey along? I mean, it's got a mind of its own, doesn't it? You know, you, you just, you're thinking stuff, feeling stuff, going, what is wrong with you, you beast? You know, you want to be one way and it wants to be another, doesn't it? Come on. Learning to get the donkey in, 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 in obedience and bringing it into, into a place of behaving properly to some degree is, is a lifelong process, I find. But your spirit's new. Your heart loves him. Your heart is joined to him. And by faith, you are seen by God as righteous. Do you follow this? This man is instantly clean, instantly forgiven, instantly loved, instantly has become a child of God. He's, he's just, he just hardly knows what hit him, but he's new inside. We celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We serve a risen Savior, not a religion. Many of us can tell our own stories of meeting him. And though we may have a lot of growing, healing, and learning to do, there is truly a before and after in our lives. Our spirit has been set free. Our hearts have fallen in love, and we are not the same people anymore. Because Jesus really is alive and lives within us. And he's ready to do the same miracle in anyone who's willing to meet him. I want to ask the question is, if there's someone ready to say, 
I've wanted to know the truth. I want to know the risen Jesus Christ, and I believe that he is. What I'd like to do is, is if you're here, I'd like to have us all just, we're going to pray a prayer. And I'll tell you what we're going to do. Here's how you receive Jesus. There's, there's a very clear thing you must do. Two things. The first thing is you must repent. You cannot come to God without repenting. And what does that mean? It doesn't mean you sit and just have remorse over the past foolishness. I'm sure for three days, and actually you can hear it in Paul's writings as the years go by, he'll look back on the things he did and thought, that was horrible. Why on earth did I have to do that? But remorse won't save you. Being sorry for the mistakes you've made won't save you. That, that just isn't it. What saves us is repentance. And repentance isn't about the past. Repentance is about your future. Are you willing to start now surrender to Jesus Christ? Are you willing to put your hand in his and follow him? Do you trust him? Do you believe that he knows the best for your life? Do you believe that his ways for you are right? That whatever he tells you and whatever he shows you in his word is right and true and brings life? Do you trust him? If you do, then it's time to put your hand in his and say, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to let you lead me, teach me, train me. I'm going to let you clean me up. You can change anything you want. Any part of my life is open to you. I hold nothing back. As, I, as you show me in your word and as you teach me and strengthen me, I will walk in obedience to you because I trust you and I love you. That's, that's repentance. It's a surrender like that. It's, it's a relationship. It's putting your hand on his and letting him lead you. And there's a second thing you must do to be saved, to come to him. And that is to trust that he died on the cross for you. Not your own righteousness, not your own goodness, but to trust that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, when he died, he was taking your judgment for your sins upon himself. You're acknowledging that you need a Savior. And you're acknowledging that he is your Savior. And, and what you're trusting is that he has died for all of your sins. Everything you have ever done, even the sins, listen to me, you haven't done yet. I mean, he is your righteousness your, your faith in him will make you right before God not anything you can ever do but faith in Christ alone so you're abandoning yourself and trusting Jesus alone as your righteousness those two things now let me ask the question anyone today say pastors you pray I'm praying with you today I'm trusting him. I, I'm going to put my hand in his and follow him. I am surrendering. I am repenting. I am I'm, I'm giving Jesus the lordship in my life because I, I love him and he loves me. And I am going to trust, put my arms around his cross and hold on to him the rest of my life. Anyone want to raise your hand and say, that's me, Pastor. I'm agreeing with you. Yes, praise God. Yes. Hallelujah. Yes. This is not a game. Yes, yes. This is how, this is a precious moment. Yes. This is a moment in which, yes, in which, we are, in which we are engaging the Lord. And when you pray, Jesus says, I, when someone comes to me, I will in no wise cast them out. Don't ever think, well, I'm a, if, I, if I pray this, he, he may not want me. It may not be good enough. Nonsense. He's been waiting for you. Yes, yes. Praise the Lord. Anyone I've missed, anyone else? Just say, I'm going to pray with you, Pastor. Yes, praise God. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Just do your wonderful work right now. I'm going to tell you something. 
that moment you're stepping across into the next life and you've received Christ, you're going to be so grateful. You are going to be so grateful that you've prepared for eternity. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Anyone else? My last request. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. All right, church. Let's pray. If you raised your hand, pray this now and mean it. If you should have raised your hand, pray this now and mean it. All of us together. Here we go. Heavenly Father, I believe in your son, Jesus. You sent him to die for my sins. I believe that today. I open my heart and I, and I trust the cross of Jesus Christ. He died for my sin. He paid my penalty. He died my death. The, the wrath of God that I deserved for the things I've done fell on him so that it will not fall on me because of Jesus because I have trusted him as my savior you forgive me you love me you have adopted me as your child my sins are as far away as the east is from the west I'm clean loved and a child of God Jesus Christ you are my Lord I put my hand in yours no more independence no more rebelliousness no more living for myself from here on every day belongs to you I want to live for you I want to glorify you it's not about me it's all about you you're my Lord and I love you with all my heart now if you prayed those two things there's something that God wants to, to, to give you you saw it there with Ananias as he ministered to, to Saul he said I'm going to pray for the fullness of the Holy Spirit for you as well this is your gift now because by repenting and believing you are clean you're a holy temple you're a child of God and God gives you but you, you and I need to receive it it's not just a theology it's a, it's a reality the Holy Spirit to come and dwell inside you Christ will come by the Holy Spirit the Father will come and, the, and God himself will dwell within you it's amazing and so would you put your hand maybe up in that upper chest there you're laying hands on yourself right now and the reason it's on, on, your, on your chest there is because it says out of your innermost being will flow rivers of water, living water, a well rising up to eternal life. So the Spirit of God is going to come virtually and dwell within you. It's amazing. So here we go. Holy Spirit, you are my gift. Jesus has promised you to me. He said if I was thirsty, that I was to come and drink, that the Spirit would be given to me without limit. Dear one, come and dwell within me. I need you. I need your strength, your wisdom, your comfort, your correction. Be my Lord. 
Be my strength. Be my wisdom. My teacher. The rest of eternity. Never leave me. Forever. I, my spirit is joined to you. Forever. I'm a child of God. And you're my precious gift. I receive you now. In Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Praise God. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please click the like button, subscribe, and share it with a friend. For more information, just head to our website, lifelessonspublishing.com. That's lifelessonspublishing.com. There you'll be able to order many of the books Pastor Steve has written.